Chapter Seven of the Dark House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark House by George Manville Fenn. Chapter Seven. Lying in State. Paul Capel looked round at Katrine, who gave him a sympathetic glance, and entered the room, taking a step forward and pausing for the rest to follow. Ramo closed the door, and drew a heavy curtain across, whose rings made a peculiar thrilling noise on the thick brass rod. Ramo then lit two wax candles upon the chimney-piece, and a couple more upon the dressing-table whose united light was only sufficient to show in a dim way the extent of the room, with its old-fashioned bed and hangings of dark cloth, similar curtains being over the window and across what seemed to be a second door opposite the couch. There was an intense desire to look towards the bed, but it was mastered by a strange shrinking, and the visitors to the death chamber occupied themselves first in looking round at the objects that met their eyes. It was richly furnished, and on every hand it seemed that its occupant had taken precautions to guard himself from the cold of England, after a long sojourn in a hotter land. A thick turkey carpet was on the floor, large skin rugs were by the fireplace and bedside, dressing-table, and washstand. Similar rugs were thrown over the easy chairs, and on the comfortable couch by the ample fireplace, while here and there were trophies of foreign arms, peculiarly shaped weapons lay on the dressing-table, and formed the ornamentation of the chimney-piece. In one corner of the room, carefully arranged and hung upon a stand, was a strangely grotesque object that, in the semi-darkness, somewhat resembled a human figure, but proved to be the tarnished uniform worn by the old officer, coaty, helmet, sword and belts, gorgeous with ornamentation, a pair of pistols with silver butts, and a small flag of faded silk and gilt stuff were grouped over a gold-embroidered saddle and tarnished shabrack of Indian work. Here, too, was one of the Indian figures of Buddha, crouched upon an enormous bracket at this side of the room, looking in the obscurity like a living watcher of the dead, in an attitude of contemplation or prayer. Ramo stood in the silent room, holding the silver candlestick above his head, motionless as another statue, so much in keeping was he in his garb and colour with the surroundings. But he was keenly watching every one the while, and taking his cue from a mute question addressed by Mr. Girtle's eyes to Paul Capel. He walked solemnly to the head of the heavily hung bed, softly drew back one curtain, and held the candle over his dead master's mortal remains. Paul Capel felt a natural instinctive shrinking from approaching the bed, 
but he did not hesitate, stepping forward with reverence, and even then his heart gave a throb of satisfaction that one of his female companions should have stepped calmly to his side. Lying there as in a darkened tent, with a couple of Indian tulwars crossed upon the bed's head, was a perfectly plain oaken coffin of unusual size, and without the slightest ornamentation, save that on the lid, resting against the side, was a brass breastplate bearing the dead man's name, age, and date of death. Within, wrapped in a rich robe of Indian fabric, glittering with flowers wrought in gold thread, lay the colonel, his face visible, and presenting to those who gazed upon it for the first time the fine features of the old soldier, with his closely cut grey hair, ample beard, and the scars of two sword cuts across brow and cheek. There was no distortion. The old man, full of days, lay calmly asleep, and Paul Capel bent down and kissed the icy brow. When he rose, his companion pressed forward, and, as he gave way, imitated his action, when, to his surprise, he saw that it was not Katrine D'Ingham, but Lydia. A low sigh fell upon their ears as they were leaving the bed's head, and Paul raised his eyes to see that the old Indian was watching, and in the semi-darkness he saw him quickly raise a portion of Lydia's dress and hold it to his lips. Drawing back, they gave place to Katrine and Gerard Artis, who walked to the bed's head, stood for a moment or two, and then, as if moved by the same impulse, both drew away. The old Indian stepped back with his candlestick, the polished silver of which seemed to glimmer and flash in the gloom. The heavy curtain fell in its funeral folds, and the group turned to Mr. Girtle. The old man said a few words to Ramo, who crossed the room to the dressing-table, taking one by one the candlesticks, and placing them in Paul and Lydia's hands, after which he took those from the chimney-piece to give to Katrine and Gerard Artis, the old lawyer taking the one the Indian had carried. This done, Ramo walked softly to the curtain that covered what seemed to be the second door, and again there was the thrilling sound as the ring swept with a low rattle over the rod, laying bare a strong iron door deep down in a narrow arch portal. Opening his silken robe, he drew out three keys of curious shape, attached to a stout steel chain which seemed to be round his waist, and softly placing one of them in the lock, he turned it easily when a series of bolts shot back with a loud clang. Then taking out the key, he pressed the door with his shoulder, and it swung slowly and heavily open, apparently requiring all the old man's strength to throw it back. Iron, and of great thickness, said Mr. Girtle in a low voice. Mr. Capel, shall I lead the way? The colonel's air bowed, and, candle in hand, 
the old lawyer passed through the doorway, Ramo holding back the curtain, and standing like the guardian of the place. They saw Mr. Girtle take a couple of steps forward, turn sharply, and descend, and as Paul Capel followed, he found that to his left were half a dozen broad stone stairs, flanked by a heavy balustrade, and that the old lawyer was standing below, holding up his light. The next minute, as they reached the floor of what seemed to be a good-sized chamber, there was the sound of the curtain being drawn, as if to shut them in, and Ramo came softly down the little flight of steps, to stand at a distance with reverent man. By the light of the five candles they now saw that they were in a perfectly bare wall chamber, apparently floor, walls, and groined roof of stone, while in the centre stood a large massive cube of solid iron, painted thickly to resemble stone. So large was it that it seemed as if the remainder of the chamber, left uncovered, merely formed a passage to walk about the four sides. This place the Colonel had constructed where a dressing-room used to be, said Mr. Girtle, and his voice sounded peculiar, being repeated in whispers from the wall in a hollow, metallic ring that was oppressive as it was strange. Why, the place is like a vault with a tomb in it, said Artis, with an impatient tone in his voice. It is a vault, Mr. Artis, said the old lawyer, a vault in which is a tomb. This, he continued, is all of enormous strength, blocks of stone and concrete being beneath us, and the walls and roof are of immense thickness. The space to be blocked up is six feet through. Hm, highly interesting, Mr. Showman, muttered Artis, and then, at a look from Katrine, he became attentive. Colonel Capel, continued the old lawyer, had his own peculiar ideas, and being an enormously wealthy man, accustomed to command, he considered he had a right to follow out his views. I more than once pointed out to him, when he made me this confident, that the proceedings he proposed might meet with opposition from the authorities, but he replied calmly that the place was his own freehold, and that everything was to be carried out privately, but at the same time he would give us little excuse as possible for interference with his plans. Besides, he said, once get the matter over, and it would be forgotten in a week. But in the name of common sense, broke out Artis, why? Will you kindly retain your observations, Mr. Artis, until we have returned to the drawing-room, said the lawyer. Artis was about to reply, but Paul Capel saw that a look from Katrine restrained him, and a jealous pang shot through his heart. Balm came for the wound directly, as Katrine raised her eyes to his, let them rest there for a few moments, and then veiled them as she gazed upon the floor. Colonel Capel, continued the old lawyer, with his words whispering about the stone walls, had a double intention in having the place constructed. 
It was for his mausoleum after death, for his strong room during life. Within this iron room or chamber, which would defy any burglar's tools, is a chest of steel, constructed from the Colonel's own designs, to contain his enormous fortune, and when that has been taken out at twelve o'clock tomorrow, it is to be replaced by the coffin that lies in the next room, by us who are present now, to be closed up and locked. The iron chamber is to be also closed, then the iron door, and lastly, we are to see that portal completely walled up, as I have already told you, and forgotten. But, said Artis quickly, is the large sum in notes here, in this place? Yes, sir. And the diamonds, the pearls, said Katrine. Yes, my dear young lady, all are here. And you have the keys? I and Ramo, the deceased's trusted servant. But is... Artis was about to continue. It's safe to trust that man. But, as he spoke, he glanced at Ramo, who was watching him. "'My guide is the series of rules written by Colonel Capel, sir,' said Mr. Girtle coldly. "'Can we see the jewels?' said Katrine. "'Yes, you can show us the treasure,' cried Artis, with a half-laugh. "'As we two are to have nothing, we might be indulged with a peep.' "'The treasure is Mr. Paul Capel, sir,' said the old lawyer. "'But even if he expressed a wish,' I could not depart from my instructions. Tomorrow, at noon, I bid you all to meet me at the door of Colonel Capel's room. Tomorrow, said Artis, today. The old lawyer glanced at his watch. Yes, he said, today. I had forgotten that it was so late. Will you kindly accompany me to the drawing room? The Indian went first and drew back the curtain and they passed up into the bedroom where the old officer lay in state. There they paused as Ramo drew back the iron door and turned the key, when the bolts shot into their sockets and the curtain was drawn. Then, glancing at the bed, they passed out of the room, Ramo locking the door, listening sharply with his ears twitching as he caught a faint creaking noise made by a lock in the lower part of the house. "'How strange that bronze figure looks,' said Mr. Girtle, glancing up at the great centaur, looming instinctly against the stained-glass window, in whose recess it stood. "'Yes,' said Paul, "'it is a fine work, but it looks as if it were going to dash out someone's brains. That is what I have always thought.' whenever I have entered or left that room. I wish to heaven it had, both of you, muttered Artis. A hundred pounds, good God, a hundred pounds. The same thought may have entered Katrine Bingham's head, for as they moved towards the drawing room, she laid her arm affectionately round Lydia's slight waist, and said softly to herself, A bangle and a hundred pounds, Mon Dieu. Then the drawing-room door closed, and Ramo stood in the dark, leaning over the balustrade of the great well staircase, 
listening intently till he saw a door open, and a flash of light came out, shining on the round, full face of the old butler, and the keen features of Charles, the footman, the latter bearing a tray of silver chamber candlesticks. Ramo glided away, and the two servants bore the tray to the drawing-room, asked if they would be wanted again, and retired. "'Good night, dearest,' cried Katrine, kissing Lydia affectionately. "'I congratulate you. I am not jealous. Good night, Mr. Girtle. How tired you must be,' she said, shaking hands. "'Good night, Mr. Artis. Good night, Mr. Capel. I congratulate you heartily. Good night.' Five minutes later the great drawing-room was as still as the chamber of the dead, and in the dark house, on the staircase and in the hall, statue and picture looked on, and the kneeling idols crouched with their eyes closed to what was passing, while the great bronze centure stood with uplifted club, ready to strike there, where he seemed to be on guard at his dead master's door but he struck no blow, and the night passed, and the morning came, a dull, drizzling morning, when the fog hung low, and it was still like night when Prenham, the butler, knocked heavily at Mr. Girtle's door. The old lawyer drew the wire, and the night latch allowed the butler to rush in. "'Hot water, Prenham,' said the old man. "'For heaven's sake, get up, sir, and I'll call Mr. Capel, sir.' panted the butler. What? Something wrong? Yes, sir, quick. I'm afraid there's murder done. End of chapter 7